This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. And so we're doing Advent uh, this week. And, and as Hope mentioned, Advent is an invitation for us. It offers us actually three invitations. I think, uh, uh, generally speaking, we think about Advent as just waiting for Jesus to come as a baby. Uh, for Christmas. We're sort of gearing up, we're gearing down uh, to get ready for Christmas. Uh, But traditionally, and in the history of the church, Advent really offers us three invitations, three comings of Jesus. One is, yes, it is we do think about him coming during Christmas time uh, in the incarnation as a human being, as God in the flesh. Uh, But we also look forward to when Jesus is going to come back, not in humility, uh, but in glory. And we also think about what it looks like for Christ to come to us now in the spirit. And so with that said, let me pray, and then we'll jump right into uh, today. Father, we thank you again for who you are for us in Christ. We thank you that you have given us enough energy and enough health to be here this morning. And we just ask now, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would blow to this place, that those who are far from you would come near. We are not ashamed of that. Uh, We are not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God. And and we ask, Lord, that you would help me uh, to remember the things that will be helpful for your people and help me to forget the things that will not be helpful for your people this morning. And we ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Uh, I have kids. I have three kids. Uh, And I remember, I I can't remember the exact um, uh, circumstance. I can't remember who died or what died. I think it was the family dog. And uh, my boy Anthony, he's nine now. I think he was about four or five. And so Catherine was just like, you know, Arnaldo, go, go speak to him, you know, comfort him, teach him about death. And, and so while we were talking about death, I kind of got down to him. And I said, hey, buddy, everything dies. <laughs> like, you're going to die, I'm going to die. Well, you know, it, it just it happens, you know. This is, but we have new life in Christ, right? And, and I, I've learned... I've learned that even the right thing can be the stupid thing, and, and so I've learned as to how to teach some of the harder aspects of life, and I, I do take it seriously um, about teaching my kids about death and, and other hard things in life. Moses reminds us in Psalm 90 that uh, help us to count our days, O Lord, so that we can live wise lives today. Uh, but that was done in the wrong way. Another thing that um, we teach that we're very passionate about teaching our kids is, is waiting. Waiting it seems like a death. And uh, waiting, I don't know if you've ever seen a kid wait. It's almost like they melt to the floor. It's like, you know, it's like been forever. You're waiting four minutes at the, at the post office and they're dying, right? And waiting is important. Waiting's a part of life. Even though we're not very good at it, waiting is something we do often. Timex did a survey. Now, this is an American survey, so bear in mind. It may be different, but it's, it's going to be uh, um, uh, similar to us Australians. Us Australians, right? <laughs> I'm a citizen. On average, I am. I'm a dual citizen. On average, on average, we spend about 20 minutes a day for a bus or a train. Now, we all know that's a lie. It's like 40 minutes. Uh, 32 minutes whenever we visit a doctor. About 28 minutes in security lines whenever we travel. About 21 minutes for a significant other to go out. Uh, We spend, you know, well, that's averaged. 13 hours annually we wait for customer service, 38 hours we wait in traffic, and I'm like, I waited 38 hours last week on the M5, let alone a year, right? And for big cities, it it goes up to about 50 hours annually. Collectively, it's about 37 billion hours a year waiting 
in line. As a whole, approximately six months waiting in line for things for our whole life, it means that about three days a year of queuing up to something, the average person spends about 43 days on hold with automated customer service. And those who take the bus, again, will wait about 27 days of their life on a platform or on Parramatta Road. Now, we are not accustomed to waiting. Even with all those facts, waiting does not come natural to us. Our culture does not train us to wait. At the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, Ramesh K. Sitarman uh, did a study where he, um, he chronicled, he, he, he cataloged 6.7 million unique views on a streaming site. And what he found was that if it buffered for two seconds, gone. So just imagine, you know, you're waiting uh, months for the new Stranger Things to come out. You go home, turn on Netflix, get your popcorn, get your Coke, whatever you do, you know, whatever's your thing. Uh, carrot sticks, I'm not judging you, but we, just imagine, you're there, you waited all week for this, you see that little symbol buffering, you're like, I'm done, I can't do this, two seconds, I can't wait, and even after every second, there's an additional 6% drop, and so we are not accustomed to waiting, waiting doesn't come natural to us, our culture doesn't train us to wait well. And the invitation today is to allow Advent to give us the gift of training us to wait well, to learn how to wait. Because waiting is incredibly important for us as human beings, but also as renewed humans. As if if you're a believer here today, waiting is incredibly important. It's laced throughout the entire Bible, and it's laced throughout our entire faith and the way we live it out. And in the age of microwaves and, uh, you know, Ubers, Netflix, we are discipled to be a kind of person. I'm not sure if you thought that maybe uh, to be a disciple you had to go to a class or read a book, but we're all being discipled. We're all being made, shaped, molded into a kind of person. And our culture does not shape us into the kind of people that wait well. In fact, our culture is shaping us to be the kind of people that need to consume and consume now. And so Netflix better get their act together. I'm moving a stand if you keep on buffering. That's how we roll. And waiting so often feels like a bit of a death, but I want to invite you today to think about waiting as a way that's not debilitating or crushing, but a way that enlarges our souls. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts this out in his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. In Romans 8, he says this, All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. And these sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. Peep this. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in our waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the longer we become, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. I love that, being enlarged in our waiting for a culture that tells us that waiting is for suckers 
that we are crushed or diminished in our waiting. No, 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 no. We are enlarged in our waiting. And we're all waiting for something. We're either waiting to get into a relationship or we're waiting to get out of that relationship. We're waiting to have children or we're waiting for them to graduate and move on. We're waiting to get married or we're waiting to get out of one. We're all waiting for something. We're waiting to get that job or we are praying for another one. Every single one of us is waiting. And so often we ask, where are you, God, in my waiting? Where are you in my waiting? So often we have our eyes so fixed on what God is going to do to end our waiting. But what I want to say is more important than what God is going to do to end your waiting is what God is doing in you while you wait. And Advent trains us to keep our eyes peeled for the way God is working in our lives as we wait. And waiting characterizes the Christian faith. It is all over the place. 135 times in the scriptures, waiting is mentioned. Now, sometimes it talks about someone who is uh, waiting to pounce on someone, an enemy or, or something like that. But several times, it talks about us waiting on God. And some of them say this, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Our soul waits for the Lord and on and on and on the scriptures go and it teaches us to wait. And yet we find this incredibly difficult, particularly in our culture. And so the question is, what does this text, Isaiah 64, teach us about what it looks like to wait as the people of God? Now, Isaiah is in the Old Testament, uh, so this is before Jesus came. It's about 700 years, uh, was written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And this is what Isaiah says to the people of God as, as they wait. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, and the mountains quaked at your presence. This is fierce. This is awesome. This is fearsome. And then we have Bethlehem. See, the, the people uh, of God in the Old Testament were expecting God to come as a political or military figure that would crush oppression, crush the oppressor, and liberate his people. That's what they were expecting. And so even when you have someone like John the Baptist, his cousin, seeing Jesus in the horizon and screaming out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we all clap, go, John has some good theology. And yet then a couple uh, chapters later, we find John in jail. He's about to be beheaded. And he sends a messenger to his uh, cousin Jesus. And he goes, um, so are you the one who was to come to liberate or like should we wait for another? 
Because in the Old Testament, this idea of lamb of God, the lamb, was a warrior, was someone who was to come and rend the heavens, melt the mountains, quake the foundations of the earth, and crush those who are apart from God. But John was speaking better than he knew. Because Jesus did come to take away the sin of the world. But he did not come to take away the sin of the world by punishing the sinners. But he came to absorb that punishment in himself. And so this Christ figure, this Messiah who was to come and decisively bring about the kingdom of God, does what? Dies assumes the position of a sinner, absorbs sin in his own body, all of your brokenness, all of the world's brokenness, all of your mistakes, all that is wrong with the world, he absorbs in himself and does not make the world pay at that time. Jesus said himself, I came to serve, not be served. The Son of God came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And yet, we wait. And this is what Advent, part of Advent is all about. It's about waiting for this Messiah, this Christ figure. And it's surprising the way he comes. He comes as a vulnerable child. There's so many, there's a bit of a baby boom going on here. And if you just hold one of those, I wanted a prop, but I'm not sure if they, they'll trust me after my parenting stories. Uh, but God emptied himself, Philippians 2 says, and became one of us. Not to judge us at that time, but to be judged for us. That's beautiful news. And we look forward to that in this Advent season. And yet we wait. We wait. We wait for the consummation. We wait for his return. We wait for disease to be no more. We wait for a government that isn't broken and corrupt. We wait for depression and pain and anxiety and the despicable evil of racism to end. We yearn for the day where no one will need to put a needle in their arms or dull their pain with alcohol or pornography. We wait for the day where wars will cease and peace will reign. We long for the time where no woman will ever have to feel unsafe walking alone at night where no man will abuse a woman and no woman abuse a man and where children are safe and not abused or taken advantage of. We wait for the day where no babies will be killed in the womb, where poverty will no longer exist. We wait for the day where evil men and women in power will no longer keep their foot on the necks of those who are under them. We long for the day that humanity no longer rapes the earth. We long for the day when humanity will worship the one true God and there will be no temple because it says Jesus will be the temple. We wait for the day where economic and social Oppression will be eradicated. We ache for the day that the church will no longer suffer persecution at the hands of evil men and twisted governments. With Dr. King, we say we wait for the day where justice will roll down like waters. We wait, in essence, for the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we wait for. The church is awaiting people. We wait for the return of Jesus. 
And I think a lot of us have encountered people who believe that Jesus is coming back, and they usually wear billboards, maybe don't shower, and are on the street corner somewhere. I remember from my graduation, my, I had some, some friends and family there who, who didn't, you know, they, 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 they're not Christians, they wouldn't consider themselves believers. And they sat next to uh, someone who just, was just talking to them in sort of esoteric or really weird terms about the, uh, the coming of Jesus. And I'm like, oh, you know, not everyone, you know, acts that way. But so often what happens is we throw out the baby with the bathwater. We look at what maybe some, uh, you know, uh, some eccentric folks may do with what is true, and then we just throw it away. But I want to say here today, part of Advent, at the heart of Advent, is Jesus returning. Jesus will come back. And so often we think, that's a good day. Yeah, come back. Because then I'll believe so you, 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 you may not consider yourself a Christian here today. You think, if I just saw him, then I would believe. But the Bible, the scriptures, are not as gentle on us as uh, that picture may, may sound. The day of the Lord is fearsome. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment. The day of the Lord as our text says, when the heavens are rended, when the heavens are opened up, when Jesus comes back, the mountains will melt into the sea. Creation will be unraveled. And I don't know if you knew this, but every single one of us will have to be held in account for every single last word we've ever said. Now, I don't know about you, but I have said and done things that I can't take back that were horrendous, that if I were to be judged, no one, no man, no woman could stand. And yet, the beautiful day about that day, the beautiful thing about that day is that that day is when Jesus will be our refuge. That as we wait, as Paul says, as we wait for God to come back in his fearsome glory and wrath, something that we're so ashamed about nowadays, the beautiful thing is that on the cross, Jesus paid that. And you have an opportunity today, Hebrew says, today is the day of salvation. Where, when that day comes. And I have to give an account. Jesus says, I paid for that. That's the beauty of salvation. That's the beauty of the, there's nothing physically beautiful about the cross. If you were there, you would throw up at the sight of what happened to this man. And yet, and yet the beauty is that we can be free today because of what he has done. And then we can say, Maranatha, which means, Lord Jesus, come. Yes, come. We want to be rid of this evil, not only in the world, but in us. So often we're going to be very quick to judge the way other people sin. And so we say that's wicked, that's evil. No matter what, where you land politically, left, right, centrist, wherever you are, we demonize the other and we forget that evil runs even in our veins. That we perpetuate evil, not only in the world, but in ourselves. And how is it that God is going to eradicate evil in the world without eradicating us? Jesus came 
and he took that in upon himself. God himself came and paid his own bill for us. Hallelujah. That's good news. And the good news is that it doesn't just end with us. It's not just a, a, a personal thing, but he's recreating the whole world. And he's calling us now to be partners in the renewal of all things. Everything that is broken will be healed. Your anxiety, your depression, your addictions, your hang-ups, your proclivities. Everything will be healed. That's what Advent is about. That God is coming to make things right. You need to hear today that God, listen, there's a lot of things on the news. A lot of wrong that's happening in the world. That should be condemned, that should be judged. Where are we going to find the resources to heal this world? It's the gospel. Because God has started something and he is creating this new world beginning inside of this one. And he's calling you today to be a part of that. To be a part of that new creation. To be a part of that new people. That when it makes sense to curse when you are cursed, you bless when you're cursed. When it makes sense to retaliate, you bless when you are maligned for the name of Christ. When everything around you says, oh man, I read this week that you can marry yourself. A couple people have married themselves. When this world is telling you that the most important thing in your life is your happiness, God says the most important thing is my glory and in my glory is your happiness. That's beautiful. Every single picture that we may have here individually of what it looks like to live in a good world, in a perfect world, the only answer to that, the real and deepest and longing and lasting answer is the gospel. And that's what Jesus' second coming is about. And a lot of people live in fear of that, but you don't need to because on the cross it's been paid for. And I invite you into that today. But there's a third coming. Not only Jesus coming in his humility as a baby, as weak. Not only is he going to come back as fearsome, glorious savior and king. But he comes to us today. Jesus, when, before he uh, left, before he ascended back into heaven, he was talking to his own boys, his disciples. And uh, he said, okay, it's time for me to go now. And they go, what do you mean it's time for you to go? And he goes, he, Jesus says, it's actually better for me if I go. Because if I don't go, then I cannot send the helper. And many of us, I asked this question about a year ago. If you were to choose to have Jesus sitting next to you, like you're just going to kick the person next to you, Jesus. If you had Jesus next to you, if you had the choice of having a physical Jesus next to you, or the promise of having the Spirit and having Jesus' presence in you, I wonder which one we would go with. I venture to say many of us would say, I'd like to see him. And yet Jesus says, it's better that I go. 
And now he's coming to you today. And this is the question. How is he coming to you? What is he saying to you? And if you do not uh, consider yourself a Christian, I just want to preach the gospel to you very quickly. God created all things. And he created all things good, the Bible says. In fact, he created all things very good. And that's why we have this itch inside of us that there is something wrong, that there is an Eden somewhere. And we try to create our Edens by, uh, 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 by filling our lives with either uh, broken relationships or money or success, whatever it is, we try to recreate Edens. Why? Because in us, in our DNA, there is this perfection. There's, there's this scent almost of this other world. But we know that that's not the world we live in. And our first parents rebelled against God. And they said, we don't want you to be our God. We want to decide what is good. We want to decide what is right. We will be the arbitrators of our world. And through Genesis, you see this steep and stark descent into evil, chaos, murder, polygamy, brokenness, dysfunction. And that's the world we've inherited. And God would send prophets to warn his people. He made promises. Through Israel, all the nations will be blessed. But Israel failed. And he said, you know what? I'll do it myself. And he came. Jesus came. God in the flesh came as Jesus. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never hope to live. He died the death that you and I deserve And on the cross, he paid our penalty so that we can be free. And one day he will come back. And this is the story that I am inviting you into today. And maybe, maybe this spirit is calling you today. This is the way Jesus is visiting you. This is the way Advent is coming to you today. But if you are someone who considers themselves a Christian, a a believer... How is God coming to you? How is Christ visiting you today? And maybe you're tired of waiting. Maybe you've waited and waited and waited, and you are like this psalmist who says, I am weary with my crying out. I'm done. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. And yet... He's waiting for my God. And I sense there may be, and I know that there are some of you here who may be just tired of waiting. You're done. You're done waiting on someone who's disappointed you in the past. You're done. And the word to you today is hope in God. Hold on because he is good and he will visit you and one day he will come back for you and one day you will see his face physically in all his glory and on that day it says that when we see him we will be like him lift your eyes up to the one who knows you who sees you in your pain in your disillusionment in your anger and so often we're not like the psalmist We just hold that inside because when we're joyful, that's when we pray, when we feel like it. When I feel like praying, 
That's what I'll do. And prayer, I've heard it said, is lifting mind and heart to God. I love that, that we lift our whole selves up to God. And so if you're feeling angry, pray your anger. If you feel abandoned, pray those feelings of abandonment. If you don't feel like praying, pray the feelings that you have of boredom in prayer. If you feel lustful, pray your lust. If you feel angry, pray pray your anger. If you feel joy, pray your joy. Bring all of you to God and you will be like the psalmist who even though you're getting weak, he's lifting you up in prayer. And this is what it says. But they who wait for the Lord, Isaiah 40, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, for the day that we can all be awaiting people. John Oswald, a commentator, says this. If we wonder where God is in our lives, the key is to begin doing what we know, allowing him to manifest himself when and where he chooses. Begin what we know. Take that first step. I remember a story about a guy who was at a coffee shop, an American coffee shop, which means that you know, the waitresses would come around and top, off the co- you know, top, top up the coffee uh, for like two bucks. Terrible, but efficient. And uh, this guy was having a meeting. And uh, uh, he's, re- he's recounting the story. And the guy he was meeting with called the waitress over and said, can I have some sugar? She said, sure. She put a couple sugars in there. She walked away. Uh, and then he called her again. He goes, excuse me, can I have some more sugar? He goes, all right, that's fine. You know, if you, if that's the kind of life you want to live. Here's some sugar. He called her again. Hey, can I have some sugar? And she came up and she goes, how about you stir what I've already put in there? And then I can give you some more. And so often we ask God for more, 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 more. And yet we're not obeying what we already know. We're not doing anything with what we do know. And how does God visit us? How are we enlarged by our waiting? Maybe the first step for you is obedience. Maybe the first step for you is a serious pursuit of holiness. Wholeness. And when we think about holiness, we often just think about it uh, just in moral terms. Holiness is a way to be human. It's a way to live with the grain of the universe. It's a way to live, change our minds, change ourselves, to live according to the way God has created the world in relationship with him and in relationship with his people. And so I invite you, if you do not know Jesus, to know him today. Hebrew says that today is a day of salvation. I invite you, if you do know him, to lean into him and to allow the waiting, whatever waiting period you are in your life, allow that to enlarge you and not crush you. Wait on the Lord and let that enlarge us and wait for his coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You're so good to us. You're so good to us. And it is your joy to be good to us. You're you're not like a reluctant father. You're a good father. What, What father who is evil, 
will give his son a serpent when he asks him for bread. And yet, you are not evil. And so we ask and we pray that you will be with us this, this morning, Holy Spirit, and that you would move people towards you. And that whatever I said that makes sense, Lord, imprint that on their hearts. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're, we're going to be moving now into a time of singing, of, of uh, a different way of worship. And I want to invite you. There's going to be uh, some folks who want to pray for you. And you may uh, have heard something or sensed something or feel moved by the Spirit to be prayed for. I want to share a quick story before we sing. In the Gospels, uh, in Luke 18, Jesus is telling a parable. And at the end of that parable, it's a parable about the persistent widow who just constantly knocks, knocks, knocks to the judge. And even the judge who is evil answers. And Jesus ends that parable saying, will, we find, will I find faith on the earth when I come back? And what is that? What does that look like to have faith? And in that story, what Jesus is saying is that as we pray, that is an exercise of faith. And he's asking his people to pray he asks us to pray. He commands us to pray, and he invites us to pray. Because as we pray, as we commune with him, he works wonders in us, through us, and for the sake of this city. And so I invite you to pray, but I also invite you to stand and sing with us and praise this God that when we see him, we no longer have to fear because fear has been nailed to the cross. Let's sing. <laughs>